Hello, welcome to the ACH podcast. I'm Sheepdog and with me this week is Cora. Hi, Cora. Hi, Sheepdog. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? You, you had a good week? Um, yeah, um, I've had a couple of days off, um, so I have been mostly sleeping because it's been like a crazy, crazy month. But yeah, I am really enjoying life at the moment. I feel like the start of uh, Autism Acceptance Month is is like, oh, yeah, I'm doing all these projects. And then if you're involved in a lot of things, which I know you are, it is a hectic month. And if you've got work on top of that, it's even more hectic, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite crazy. I mean, we started the month um, early on the 31st of March. Um, I'm part of something called the Neurodivergent Business Consortium, which we really kicked off on the 31st of March together with my business partner, Shah Siddiqui, Dr. Shah Siddiqui, I should say now. And we had Penny Mordant MP attending together with our uh, Lord Mayor here in Portsmouth. And a lot of, nice. um, you know, we had two um, local um, researchers and a couple of other important people. And it was a great event and we're going to do it every month. So that was absolutely brilliant quite exhausting um we, i'm speaking on a couple of panels this week and next week so and that on top of being a lawyer is quite exhausting so. <laughs> God, yeah so every now and again i think oh i'm quite busy and then i speak to someone like yourself and i go okay i'm not that busy i should i should up my game but uh no i, I definitely understand where you're coming from and uh yeah it's, it's one of those where i keep thinking oh god there's only two weeks left of the month and then suddenly it'll be back to normal routine and and a lot of the things I've started doing, I'm hoping will continue on and I'll still be involved in them, that kind of thing. But it is interesting looking ahead and thinking, okay, this could be quiet in a few weeks. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, so, yeah, you're here today to uh, to talk about your career. And as you sort of touched on there, um, you work in law, you're, you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, what, what you do in detail? And then we'll, we'll, um, we'll go on to your early career after that. Yeah, sure. So... Um... I work in mostly in commercial law that's dealing with contracts, so business contracts, um, intellectual property, uh, so that's copyright and stuff. And um, I work with a lot of scientists and engineers who um, do amazing stuff. And when they do an invention, when they come up with something new, um, I help them protect that. So a, a, a patent, for example, is um, is a means to ensure that no one else can, you know, run away with it and do something else with it. So that then means that you can develop it into what you had into mind. Um, and um, it, it, it's literally amazing stuff because you can then see something that someone came up with in their mind and bring it to fruition, bring it to the market, see it develop into something that actually helps humanity. And, and that's what technology is all about. I know a lot of people are scared about technology and it can go wrong, but, you know, working with a scientist or an engineer and just see the stuff that's in their mind materializing onto paper and then into tangible stuff is just one of the most amazing things that as a lawyer or anyone in in business support like administrators and and, and everything that you can do and it's so exciting and for me as a neurodivergent person it's just so amazing because I get what they're trying to do 
you know, I'm not a scientist, but I get what they're trying to do. And I can then translate it into something legal that helps them protect what they do. And it's just the best feeling. Absolutely love yeah, that it. That sounds perfect. That sounds really interesting because I guess it also it's different things. It's new things constantly. It's not, yeah. it's not, you know, for me, my job's very much, it's the same sort of cybersecurity tenders every day, every week. They're a little bit different, but they're mainly the same. And being able to say, okay, this week I'm patenting a, a, a machine and then next week I'm patenting uh, an engine or something or an idea or something yeah. that's going to be a new way of doing a piece, you know, a bit of medicine or something like that. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating. Cool. Um, so, so how did you, start out is this something you 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 went straight into or is this or were you doing other things before that when you were younger I rolled into it because um well we've all had our challenges I imagine in school in growing up um I um I my, my first neurodivergent that was identified was epilepsy that overshadowed everything else um it was so severe at one point it was life-threatening um, and I had to spend a year in an epilepsy clinic back in the Netherlands. And that basically was my saving because there was a school for special, edu special education there. And that really sort of put me on the straight and narrow, as I put it. And that's one-on-one -on -one attendance yeah, and attention that really helped me focus on some things. And... Um, when I sort of went back home, I got some more support in uh, maths. Uh, maths has always been my weak point. I, there was problems with um, focusing, hyperactivity, all that sort of stuff. But being taken apart and just have someone, you know, really focus on me, really help me. And then I got an assessment like here it's, I think, the 11 plus um, in the yep. Holland, it was called the CETO at the time, and they said, okay, she can go into special education or she can do something with her hands. Okay, I'll do stuff with my hands. <laughs> um, and as somewhere along age 13, 14, something switched in my head, and I, I, I was able to focus, and I was bullied to hell at the time, and I thought, screw you, I'll show you what I can do with my brain. Oh, excellent, yeah. <laughs> and I just, you know, just sped ahead and I aced every exam except maths. Um, and then suddenly I got a recommendation for what is known here as sixth form uh, a class. And I went into that and again, I aced everything. And the recommendation was to go to a library and information college but that was too heavy on maths so then they said go and do um uh, teaching english as a foreign language okay great do that um <laughs> so they just kind of directed you towards that as an idea that you maybe oh yeah, you might be able to do this go yeah yeah because i've always been very good at my languages um yeah so i did that and it was going really well but there was a lot of problems in my home my mum got really ill and apart from I mean I I, I uh, completed all the academic subjects but the teaching practice was just so overwhelming for me I mean I love working with kids it was only it was uh, secondary school and I specialized in the special education side of things but just to be in a class full of 30 kids it was just so overwhelming for me I, I just had to drop up in the last year interestingly 
out of many of the uh, autistic workers that I know, myself included, so many of us have qualified to teach and got into teaching. I used to yeah. teach IT. Um, it. I found the same in that. I mean, I liked the, I liked working with the students. I I didn't find it. Some days I found it overwhelming. I do remember in my training having a meltdown one day and having to leave the room. Uh, I just I really couldn't cope. But it wasn't the kids. I think it was trying to do too many things at once, yeah. trying to learn to process what was happening and the lesson and this and that and think about something else and the timing. And and once I'd got used to it, yeah, I was okay with teaching. And then I kind of I burned out in other ways. I think I, I just yeah. kept volunteering to do more and more. But teaching is thankless. Teaching is all consuming. And I think, I don't know about yourself, but I very much found that I either had to give 100% of myself to it and I have nothing else left or I had to go and do something else. And that's kind of where I ended up being is I thought I can't give 100% of myself to this. I need to do too many of things. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was one of those where I left that and went on. But so you, you, I mean, getting into teaching and getting into the classroom is a full on, that's an effort to do. So to come into that yes. point and then moving on, what, what did you kind of do next? Um, I dropped out, um, I moved in with my then partner and I went into administration. I got a job as a legal secretary and that's really where my legal career started. Um, I started working with what was Europe's, or is still Europe's oldest insurance company uh, for the legal advisor. And I thought it was fascinating, you know, all, all this business law. And I soak up things as we all do that interest me. So, you know. Soaked that up, worked for him for a year, then I moved on to the next legal uh, advisor. And, you know, I just soaked all that up. And then I met, met my then husband online, um, went to visit him because um, my, my hands got sort of affected by repetitive strain injury. <laughs> um, he asked me to marry him and <laughs> the rest is the same. Oh, wow. That, yeah, very good. <laughs> So yeah, that sounds sweet. So you moved, yeah. So you moved to to to, to meet your husband and 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 yeah. got married. That sounds. That's, it's amazing that you. Oh, I, I can't type to you anymore. I'm going to come see you. <laughs> you know, and then, let's get married. Brilliant. Sorted. Yeah, that's as good a reason as any. That sounds fantastic. It, yeah, it worked. It, it was <laughs> but you know, within three days after having met each other physically, you know, he asked me to marry him. And I said, oh wow, wow, that was a good three days. Said it sounds. It made a good yeah, impression. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, um, so with, with this at this point, so we go. And then I, I got, I already had a job here waiting me with a law firm locally. And, you know, that just continued. And um, then um, I... Yeah, it's kind of built from there to, to today. Um, were you at this point aware that you, so you knew about your epilepsy diagnosis and um, were you aware that you were autistic at this point? Had you kind of acknowledged there were autistic traits there or was it kind of something where you just thought, I'm me, I'm, I'm epileptic, but also just working and getting on with it i didn't know about autism i had been given a diagnosis of back in the 70s it was called minimal brain dysfunction and it, later that was acknowledged uh to be adhd right but okay right up to until very recently i thought it can't be right because i'm, I'm so high functioning that must be wrong um but when i um moved into my job in London, uh, which was another legal secretary job. And then I was given the opportunity to study to become a paralegal under English law. 
I started running into so many communication problems and that was initially I thought it's it's the change of culture because yeah we got that kind of well direct we say what we think Mm -hmm. and time and again I was told you're rude I'm not rude I'm being honest and it kept happening and you know then um after three years there I was made redundant um there was a little bit of conflict going on and I was hired here locally at a recruitment firm I was given the opportunity to learn about contracting and then I was told you're going to review contracts you're going to negotiate contracts I go like what I need to negotiate contracts in a language that isn't my own what the yeah and then you get these things like you need to be more negotiate uh, more commercial what does that mean don't tell me Mm, be specific yeah yeah and then I started thinking, I keep getting these run-ins with people that tell me I need to be more commercial and that I prevent sales. What is going on here? And then I started building all these policies to protect myself from conflict. And then I started thinking, there is something else going on here. But I couldn't mm-hmm. put my finger on it. And in 2010, I had a nervous breakdown. And from then on, I started looking, what is going on here? There was a lot of conflict with my mother as well. And she thought that she might be autistic. And I looked more at maybe, you know, she she suffered very, very bad um, incest from a neighbor. And I thought maybe it's trauma and there is childhood trauma and negligence in my background. So I thought... Is it mental health? Yeah. Is it something that's come from their traumatic, yeah. their traumatic stress, you know, chronic uh, versions of that? There's all sorts of diagnoses there that could have, have, have added to that or at least be bundled in with that because that is a lot of a lot of autistics are not just autistic. They've got comorbidities mm. that go beyond, you know, the epilepsy, the ADHD that you've touched on. There are so many other things. You know, we all have yeah. things that might have happened in our childhood that have traumatized us or affected us or made us yeah. extra vigilant. Um, hypervigilance is a big thing. If you're so used to something yeah. going wrong, yeah. you you are constantly aware of that being a possibility and it does just impact and shape your your choices and, and what you do. So I guess for you at that point, you're, you, you're thinking that something's definitely not right. Something's definitely a barrier for you that's not just Dutch directness as you put it and uh you know that, that that's an interesting point I might want to touch on later on is that it's interesting culturally that in England would be told oh you're very direct if you're autistic but obviously if you're in a culture that's direct mm. it's probably not a symptom as much or it's not as noticeable because no, everybody's what? direct which sounds mm. fascinating to me because I guess that's going to be the same in all sorts of, of countries and cultures if uh I don't know if, if it's culturally normal for or, or regular for everyone to be a bit more bouncy about the day in their chairs. You know, everyone's having a bit, I don't know, whatever. I'm just making up things I'm thinking that might stand out for me in the office that, oh, I'm a bit more stimmy. If that's culturally regular for people to see everywhere, then they're not going to pick up on things. So it's interesting that your directness would have been considered part of your Dutchness, uh, you know, in your homeland. And then over here, it was like, ah, you know, that's probably that. It's 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 interesting that that sort of thing would have been missed. So... Once you'd kind of um, started looking into this, um, obviously at the same time you're trying to work out work, you can't just stop your career. What I'm guessing you had to spend some time sort of searching through all the, all the family issues that you were having and all of the uh, 
just untangling it, understanding yourself. Um, what what was the plan then? What did you try and sort of work alongside that? Did you take some time to figure it out and then realize your position and, and what you, you know, knowing who you are, then you knew what you could kind of go and do. How, how did it roll for you from there? It took a long time because I, for the longest time, I really thought it was, and my doctors really thought it was just anxiety and depression. So I was treated for that for 10 years without... Same. <laughs> <laughs> Such without, a again. I know. Without exploring any neurodivergence. So, you know, on and off, going for CBT, going for counselling, that sort of thing. Uh, going on so many tablets and yeah 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 so you know you go up and down up and down you just go about your day and nothing really works um and it drove my husband to despair because he saw improvements and then i dropped back and i improved and he said well when is this going to end i don't know i just keep digging because i know something is wrong and he and my friends just kept telling me Stop digging in the past. Just look to the future. And I can't because I know there you knew is... the answer was there, you know. Yeah, mm. that there is something deep inside of me that I can't see. There is something that's not right. And I can't stop digging. So, um, you know, that caused some conflict. But you know when something is not right and you're not being treated right. So I, I, I couldn't give up. And... Um, my husband was very, very, very ill. Um, he only had one kidney and that he had received from his mum before he met. And unfortunately, in 2015, that started failing. So he became very ill. He had to go back on dialysis. So on top of everything else, I was his primary carer. Uh, that was very draining, but I did it with all the love mm-hmm. in my heart. Obviously. Not sure, of course, I understand. Yeah, and then uh, COVID hit. Um, it it was a blessing and a curse because um, I was able to be at home all the time, spend all the time. Things the slowed down enough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, look after him, drive him to the hospital, stay with him because he was very very scared. You know, it was a catch twenty two. It also gave me the opportunity to go through proper trauma therapy, which really, really helped. Um, But yeah, um, he started missing his therapy and eventually he passed away. And that was the trigger for me because what I had never realized was despite all his illness, how much he had actually done for me. Hmm. And yeah, know, he'd been someone there consistently for you through that period, and yeah. someone for you to talk it through with and understand with, and yeah. yeah. So, so Patrick has always dealt with all our finance, with all sorts of things that I just wasn't capable of doing, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting here in the middle of my grief, having to deal with all that shit, and I just completely lost it. I went into total brain fog, you know, complete stress, and all this stuff, and I'm thinking. I used to be able to cope with this. What the hell is going on with me? Hmm. And then I started thinking, this sounds familiar to what I'm seeing on the internet, what I'm hearing about ADHD, autism. And then I started looking for real. And I remembered I had a childhood diagnosis of ADHD. I'm thinking maybe, maybe they were right. And then I asked my GP, can you get me an assessment? 
and then of course you have to go through all these reams and reams of forms that are not in the slightest way fit for someone with our conditions <laughs> Which yeah think? it's so much it's <laughs> I, I had this complaint where i was like okay you've made me fill out piles and piles of forms when you know that my attention is a problem you want me to wait two years when you know that i have a real time problem i have a real patience problem i have a real nervous problem um you i can't really understand where i am in the queue what's going on i get no information um somebody actually said to me with my autism diagnosis they said when they had theirs they rang so often that they ended up just doing theirs to get them off the phone and I thought okay <laughs> like now I know um I'm not going to do that because I'm not I don't want to take the mickey I don't want to you know other people I'm trying to empathize with other people in the queue but when I am feeling anxious I will ring them and I will mention it and I will bring it up and I will just make it clear to them that I'm worried or I need to know and we agreed they were going to send me a monthly email where I was in the queue and it did help and and I feel I feel like it's frustrating to know that you can ask for these things, but they don't tell you these things exist. And also it is completely counteractive, counterintuitive to what you need. It it would be like putting uh, the uh, crutches and bandages for broken legs at the top of a flight of stairs and going, off you pop, go get them, help yourself. It just isn't suitable. It isn't fit for purpose. It's silly. Um, but you managed to untangle it all then, despite all of the other things you had going on. You, you've obviously overcome a massive amount of, of work and grief and untangling in that period to get to the point where you've you've basically uh you've gone through therapy you've, you've spoken to the right people you've you've then got on the waiting list after filling out the the, the questionnaires and waiting in the queue and so forth and um I was just for the listeners benefit I was resisting with every fiber of my being to ask you about your cat then but we'll get to that later <laughs> um, if anyone wondered why I sounded slightly distracted it's because there was a cat on the screen and I was like that is a beautiful cat um <laughs> tell me more but I'll, I'll we'll keep on on topic and then maybe at the end um <laughs> so um I guess I did, how long did that take was it a kind of another for me it was two years so was that another two-year gap for you especially with covid um actually i've only just got my autism assessment booked in so oh wow okay so it's yeah it's really taken a while i'm sure have uh outsourced it to a private uh provider what i had to do was i was getting so overwhelmed and there's some work scenarios that getting in there um i was told it would be three years waiting and i went no there's no way uh, yeah. i can wait that long Mm -hmm. So I started looking into private assessments. Um, I got the cost back for that and I went, wow. And I spoke yeah. to my then manager and he said, you don't have to do that. Work is going to do it for you. Oh, wow. That's very kind. And then I went through massively invasive forms uh, that were really triggering and then come Christmas um, Oh, just after Christmas, they decided that they weren't going to do it. So oh, okay. <laughs> I got into a dispute situation with my work, um, which eventually was amicably resolved. Um, but that didn't uh, get me into a position where I decided um, I'm going to use my experience to help other people, which is how both my personal brand, the Neurodistinguished Lawyer, and my uh, company, Neurobellion, were born out of. And I have since helped, I think, seven people, either through tribunal or through grievances, um, 
tribunals are incredibly Absolutely. difficult and that's because mm -hmm. believe it or not the judiciary are exempt from the equality act and i want to change that it's ridiculous because yeah it doesn't make any sense does it it's not equal if there's caveats how <laughs> do we stand a chance to have a fair trial if the judiciary aren't held to the same standards as everybody else uh-huh but i i get distracted um i did go forward with my private assessments um i was diagnosed i think it was in may with adhd and autistic traits and i'm still not happy with the autistic traits because the psychologist said when we had the assessment that she felt my adhd masked my autism so you mm -hmm. know um, that's why now that I've been offered the opportunity to have an autism assessment under the uh, uh, NHS, I'm going for that because if something masks my autism, then clearly, you know, you need to look at that. I do fully. Yeah, it's it's um, a um, it's an interesting one because again, uh, I I had the autism diagnosis first and the ADHD diagnosis second, and. I didn't pursue ADHD at first because I didn't understand it. And I thought, oh, no, that's not me. I've read a little bit. It's not me, no. Mm -hmm. And then it was only chatting to ADHD uh, people who are also autistic that I realized, actually, no, yeah, my, the leg bounce I have all the time, the amount of caffeine I consume, the amount of time my brain spends racing through yeah. ideas, the all the other things that they they kept pointing little bits out to me. I'd go, oh, okay, okay, I'll add that mm -hmm. to the list. Yeah, and in yeah. the end, I had to go speak to a doctor and, and they were like, yeah, no, we'll send you for the diagnosis. And the ADHD doctor was like, yeah, you score 100% on all of the things uh -huh. that we test for. Whereas the uh, autism doctor told me they knew within two minutes of speaking to me, they were like, yeah, we got you on the call. Um, at first I said, hello, how are you? And they were like, mm. and then the rest of the conversation was completely for them autistic <laughs> it's yeah, just like exactly. um but both of them yeah they cover each other in weird ways that mean when i say i'm autistic people go but you do podcasts you do this you do that and it's like well we can talk <laughs> we can we can have communications we can enjoy talk, talking to people and yeah. um it, it, yeah it's i definitely understand why people don't realize they are or, or why people dismiss it a little bit i wish people were more understanding but i do get why people mm. just assume no you know um so i feel like we've we've covered what's motivating you moving forward obviously you you've got into you've used your legal experience to try and change what is happening to autistics in the work at tribunals uh in life in general so i'm guessing it's not just workplace tribunals you'd work with it's it's all kind of legal battles relating to, to autism um you've overcome a lot of barriers we covered that kind of off there there's been a lot of things along the way that have, have, have affected your journey um is this something um i guess it's something that you built an ambition on it's not something you felt all the way through because you've kind of learned the more the more you've learned the more you've wanted to do things which is a similar thing for me again the more i've learned the more i've wanted to let other people know yeah. help people out you know knowing how many people are unemployed i wanted to do this because i felt okay there's a lot of myths here that are barriers here that are stopping you from getting into work um do you feel like you've had any um challenges that have got you um that have kind of along the way where you've tried to apply for these works are you working for yourself now because you found the world of work was hard or uh are you just feeling like it's actually you just need to be doing your own thing because this is something that's motivated you to do it um it's a bit of both um i have persistently encounter challenges in the workplace and it's mostly around um the environment you're in because um 
sensory overwhelm and then the communication piece I mean I keep getting told that I'm rude and that I need to improve my communications and then having had my various diagnoses it is very clear that this is just my natural communication style so don't score me down on my negotiation don't hold me back mm. to promotion because my communication doesn't suit you that is discrimination you know that you you have to make as employers reasonable adjustments for people with protective characteristics and if you hold me or anyone else with our sort of brain type to the same standards as people who don't have these protective characteristics then you're discriminating against us and that was one of my complaints to my previous employer you're discriminating against me and you have persistently put me down, helped me back from promotion on grounds mm. of my communication style. And screw you, I'm not having it anymore. Yeah, it, good it's for you, definitely. Horrible. And what Did, I do uh, now in my um, uh, job applications, um, I'm going through the process at the moment. Before I even go to an interview, I ask for the interview questions up front. And some companies are better than it than other, but I explain. I have a under, uh, what did I call it? Uh, under average uh, working memory and I have auditory processing uh, issues. So those two clash with each other in my brain. So if you're asking me to do these competency questions or these star interviews, those aspects are going to clash with each other and I will not perform as well as I can. So if you give me the questions 48 hours in advance, I will be able to write notes. I've already done the work in advance. I can look at my notes and then I can actually show you what I can do. But if you're asking me to do it on the spot, my brain is going to clash and it's just not going to work. And then anxiety is going to overtake. So I've had one company, which was amazing. You know, the, the, the amount of accreditations and groups that they had in their, their, their company with the various protected characteristics was just stellar. And then one organization, you know, decided we'll give you the questions uh, in the afternoon before the interview because we don't want to give you an advantage over other candidates. And I went straight back to them saying, you're not understanding diversity here. It's not about giving me an advantage. It's about leveling the playing field because people with protected characteristics have a disadvantaged position to start from but they still didn't do it so you know but they were very good in the interview and they're going to give me feedback afterwards but you know that's okay. what we're fighting against you have to understand yeah. what adjustments or accommodations are about we're not looking for an advantage we're looking for a level playing field it's equity isn't it it's um so this is an interesting one because the episode just before yours is uh, i covered what the uh the most common issues that other autistics were were facing with looking for jobs and while i was talking i kind of got onto it naturally of do you disclose that you are autistic before you before you go for an interview and my logic and my reasoning and my thought process was I would because I'd want them to provide upfront information like you've just asked for. I'd want them to make the interview comfortable for me, accommodating for me and and equal for me. Um, it's interesting that you've, you've, you have been disclosing what your needs upfront. Um, 
have you found it's made you so when you used to apply for jobs and how you apply for jobs now have you found there's been fewer responses or has it been about the same have they been my logic was at the time if people weren't understanding oh, i didn't really want to work there anyway so if they didn't give me a chance sod them you know ultimately <laughs> but have you found that it's held you back much or i have always disclosed my, that i'm registered disabled it's never held me back what i found hugely helpful because i've only done it since my diagnosis is that uh, when I ask for uh, reasonable adjustments, it makes it so much easier to actually perform in the interview. And I, I will always advocate for um, for asking for reasonable adjustments. Giving because, yourself your best chance. Yeah, and also because, and, and this, this may be put people off, is if you find that companies or organizations are, discriminating against you in the hiring process you can actually take them to tribunal and i've successfully done that with some clients one client was amazing he had done a lot of uh, research himself and he'd already successfully taken companies to tribu tribunal but we assisted him in an appeal and he was awarded two thousand pounds in appeal against the company that had discriminated against him in the hiring process because the hiring process, you you can't discriminate in the hiring process either, you know. So, no, that's good to know. That's useful because I, I actually didn't know that. I didn't know well, there was like a legal um, requirement to give these accommodations. I kind of, yeah. um, my my naive assumption perhaps was just that if you're up front with someone, they don't then invite you. That's the long and short of it. But if you, mm -mm. I mean, I, I guess they're going to be wise enough not to usually show that the reason they didn't invite you was because you disclosed, but if you feel like there's been some clear yeah. communication that it's because of something, then obviously, I mean, if they come back to you and go, well, we don't think this environment would suit someone with your needs. That's discrimination, obviously straight off the bat. But if they don't respond at all, you haven't really, and not everyone who doesn't respond is going to be doing it for that reason is what I'm probably getting at. So you don't know. And that's, that to me is fine. I can shrug that off and go, okay, I probably just wasn't qualified enough. They probably had better candidates, but if they come back to you and go, no, we don't think you'd fit because of this, that, and the other, we're telling you it's a barrier. That's where you'd be in your rights well, to talk to someone like you and say. That's the thing. When you get invited to an interview, that's when you say, I need you to make reasonable adjustments for me. Okay. And so you would wait. Yeah. And and that's when they say, oh, no, we can't go ahead then. That's what, okay, excuse me, you're discriminating against me. Interesting, okay. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, to be fair, I hadn't really considered you wouldn't put it on your CV exactly, would you? You wouldn't be saying, oh, by the way, I mean, you could, but I guess you put your CV out there as to the, what they've asked for. They're not saying, are you autistic on yeah. your CV? They're saying, you know, are you qualified to, you know, do you know how computers work? Do you, do you know how to do law? You know, and, and so once you filled that out and you send it in, yes, I meet your criteria at that point saying, oh, but by the way, I, I've got epilepsy, ADHD, autism, so on and so forth. Yeah. They are, if they then go, oh, okay, we've canceled the interview. You can say, well, hang on the moment I told you about this, you've canceled the interview uh -huh. or you've moved the goalposts or you've put me out or whatever. Okay. That makes sense. And, and yeah. yeah, I feel like people do need to be vigilant to that. It's something that might sound scary, but it's in reality, it's not going to be as scary as it sounds at all. It's just an interview. I would say maybe this is naive. More, more people are going to be supportive. More people are going to be fine. Yeah. I've not met many people who are unsupportive or unkind, but there will always be that one or two people who are just not up to date. They're foolish. They're silly. They're ignorant, whatever it is. And there's 
back up for that. And like you've said, some people have taken that to the point where they can actually get, uh, you know, make them have to pay compensation for that. Um, is that an, a long and expensive process? How does that work? Does that, if, if they were to be successful, would that kind of come, would they end up paying for that? Or is it one of those things where you have to pay up front? And... It, it, it depends on what you do because, um, and this is what a lot of employers don't understand yet. And that's where, where, me and my team come in and other you know lawyers and and advocates employers are trained to assume that when you raise a complaint you automatically want to go to tribunal and our people don't want to do that in my mm, experience doesn't have to happen does it yeah yeah in, in my experience when a neurodivergent person raises a complaint or asks for for to speak with a manager or or hr people all we want is to seek understanding and if it's a really bad situation just an apology but the problem is that employers are told by lawyers don't apologize because then you admit guilt well so what yeah we just want justice We, we operate on integrity you know i i have I have been in a dispute situation and my solicitor said, yes, you have a good case, but if you go to a tribunal, it's going to destroy your mental health. And on that basis, you know, she advised to accept a settlement agreement. And that's a bit appeal because settlement agreements do one thing. They give you money. They buy your silence. They yeah, have tagging clauses like a- and you can't speak about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you feel like the justice hasn't been served and justice yeah. is important to us. You know, it's, yeah. it's important to so, a lot of people, but we feel it a lot stronger. Yeah, that's the thing. So it was a bit of pill for me, but I found a way around it because uh, this sounds like I'm, I'm bragging, but I don't mean to brag, but I am no, smart brag. enough to put things out on LinkedIn in a way that people understand what I'm saying, but I don't disclose and I, I who or what was involved and Mm -hmm. that's how the neurodistinguished lawyer started because i was able to express my pain and my sense of injustice without breaching my gagging clause and then people started to respond to it and i and then i realized hey hang on i'm not the only one here and that's how i transformed my pain and was able to start helping people that's, that's wonderful. So you trod that line, there, which I think, again, is quite a common. I feel like we when you get involved in a legal dispute or a dispute with people and they say to you, you can't do this. And you say, well, what am I allowed to do? I feel like our logic is very good at being able to say, well, if I'm allowed to do this, I'm allowed to do it. So I'm going to go right up to the wall on it. And I know that I can't go beyond that. And that's fine. And that, and that for me, I've been in lots of situations in my life where I've gone right to the line on something like that without treading over it, without giving away too much or getting myself in trouble knowing that if it all tries to come back on me i can go no i stopped there and once you know that it is very comfortable and very good and it is worth learning these things from experience it sounds like obviously you've built up a great experience at at doing that and yeah it's interesting that immediately you found i feel like every time one of us has a problem and we vocalize it online we find that all of many of us have a problem not everyone all the time but the amount of times i've had a problem 
learned from another autistic about how to solve it and then met 50 autistics to have the same problem later on and they think oh sheepdog's really clever he knows all this stuff it's like no i just know it from asking someone else like you know i'm just passing it on you're gonna look like a genius to 50 people in 10 years time but right right now you're just learning what i learned of someone else six months ago it's it's great and our community our people are so eminently suited to law i'm not a qualified solicitor i'm a self-made lawyer I was given the opportunity to do, they were ILEX then, they're Silex now, to do Silex courses in paralegal studies. So I did two courses. All the rest of my career is on the job. And, and you know, I have a very solid reputation in what I do, but it's all self-made. And what I do now is I train people with no background in law there, there might be administrators, they might have done law in school, but I train them to do what I do because our attention to detail, our ability to spot things that are not in the right place, that is what is needed in contract law and in reviewing legal documents. That's the skill set that you need to do what I do because to be a solicitor, you you have to, you, what, what sets you apart from what I do is Obviously, you've gone to university, you have done your, your postgrad, you've gone to a training contract, and it qualifies you to operate in areas of law that are called restricted activities, like uh, wills and going for the, to court. Right, so be a signatory or something like that to say this is a legal document. But yeah. for fighting legal cases, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know there was a difference here. So people listening, yeah. um, if you were interested in pursuing law and defending people you're saying they don't need to have gone to university to do a law degree they don't need to jump through hoops and pass any kind of bar i don't think that's a real thing in in the uk and i've just heard of it on tv mm-hmm. uh, you know the bar exam and all this kind of thing um you, you don't have to do that you can literally work with someone like yourself and just learn the ropes or even in theory if they were if they decided they just saw someone who suffered a, a legal injustice and they wanted to help them fight it they're they're entitled to do that without any qualifications no, so, i mean obviously they need to be good but... defending okay go on people, that's what i'm checking defending go people on. in court that's why you need to be a solicitor or okay a thank you for yeah but for things like contracts uh agreements that sort of thing that is not a restricted activity so okay. people who work in procurement buying things or ah, in, yeah like me i do that <laughs> That is the stuff that I can do because that is not a restricted activity. And employment law, certain areas you do need to be a solicitor for. And I have my partners who can deal with that side of it. But a lot of it um, I am entitled to do. So it's a fine line. It's it's all. Again, yep, the line as we just said about uh, that's kind of what I was feeling out there. I didn't want to. If I assumed maybe I could go and start defending people in a court of law, I didn't want the listeners to go and assume it. And then you go, hang on, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Don't jump into, I don't want to run to the nearest court and just burst in and start defending people. Um, you know, that would have gone badly for everyone involved. Yeah, so yeah. I'm glad I asked and I'm glad, you know, you've clarified. Um, but yeah, there's a line there and learning where that line is, is the right thing. And obviously if you've got the, the time, um, the drive, the will, whatever it is to kind of go yeah. to university, it's not... It's not that big of a barrier to go to university at any age, really, and um, especially as an adult. You can. Um, this is more for the listeners' benefit. But when I was in my mid twenties, which I know is not that old, but back then um, I hadn't got a degree, and I realised my, my A levels were terrible, and I 
asked a university, I want to come and do computing, what do I need to do? And they just said, tell us why you want to do it, write us a letter. And I wrote a letter and explained that, you know, blah, 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 ever since I was this age, I did this. And they read that and they went, yeah, come on in for an interview. And they gave me a place on the course and I got a first class cool. degree. So I'm not saying that all universities will do that, but a law degree from any university is a law degree. And yeah. you can then go on and do the rest of it. And I know that if you want to work for the top, top, top magic circle lawyers, they're probably going to want someone from from Oxbridge or whatever it is. But if you've also got a reputation built up over time, then the reputation precedes the qualification. And uh, yeah, it's 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 not off limits to anyone. But no, if you just have to get into it like you have, it's an open book it's an open door law is changing so much now and, and there are so many routes into law now as well because the, the classic law degree requires university but there is also a select what you meant um, uh, the the chartered institute of legal executives and you could do that modular you can do it in class or you can do it online largely online <clears throat> and you can even do an apprenticeships uh, route now which is brilliant. So there are so many routes to get your formal law degree um, or, or, you know, do it uh, hands-on. Since the changes to the Legal Legal Services Act, a a lot has changed. So, and and yeah, you can enter the legal profession the way I did, go into uh, uh, an office and see if you can become a legal assistant or a legal secretary things like Imagine that. that's quite common isn't it just to kind of build up being you know the network the atmosphere understanding the processes yeah. um, the more you uh, subject yourself to the environment the better it's going to make your kind of understanding of it, isn't it? you know there are lots of you know starting uh, entry point administrative jobs so what my parents did when they realized or they were told that i would never amount to anything <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they had me do a typing course uh, so age 11, I could uh, type blind 10 fingers. And then, you know, I just did uh, a, a holiday job at the, the tax office, a data entry. And, you know, that really got me started in administration. So, you know, if you can type, you can get into administration. And that that's a really good starting point. And anybody yeah, no, that sounds great. because of how computers have taken off. Yeah, that's how old I am. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I learned to type on the typewriter. <laughs> so yeah, I remember having one in my house as a kid that my <laughs> mum wrote letters on. But that is—it's funny being my age in my late thirties, thinking, "Yeah, I remember my mum. My mum had a typewriter. We had an old black and white TV that was like our backup TV. Uh-huh. Um, I remember my nan had a, a dialing phone with your oh, finger, God, yes. but <laughs> all of that very quickly got replaced. I grew up in a very bizarre period where I saw all of the tech get smushed together and changed um i can only imagine what it was like for people who got more used to it but um Mm -hmm. yeah no learning all those skills is critical and these days a lot of those skills have already been gained from just being if you're chronically online like i am then you can type with your eyes shut you know my wife was talking to me yesterday while i was typing an essay and she's looking at me like how are you still doing this i was like well i know what i'm writing you know i'm just listening to what you're saying while i'm doing it you know um but that's because i've just spent 20 years talking to my friends on messengers and stuff so yeah. yeah it's um it doesn't sound like a skill that people can can realize they've got but i guarantee most people listening know how to type to a good enough quality to start doing an admin job to start going from there and growing on it and they'd pick up the bits they don't have yeah. um so i know we've slipped into this a little bit already and i just you know it's been i think it's been great advice here and people who are interested in this will have gained a lot already but is there anything that 
you feel you'd really want to advise autistics if they wanted to look at a career like yours? Is there any key bit of information where you're thinking, this is the bit I want you to to take and think about? This is the key advice. Don't give up. Don't let Don't anyone up. tell you you can't do it because... You know, the routine advice that career advisors tell you, you have to have this, this, uh, uh, you know, course in school, you have to have this and you have to go to law school. It's it's not true. Obviously, if you want to be a solicitor and you want to work with a law firm, then that is the route. But there is so much more to law than being a solicitor. For, for me, for example, I have worked in recruitment firms. I have worked at research institutes. I have worked in um, really exciting uh, fusion energy places. I've worked for the government. And that's all off the back of just having done very simple city and guild level paralegal courses, which is equivalent, I think, to A-level. And just having worked in places, you know, you can make your own career. It is entirely possible. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't because you can. Absolutely. Sounds Believe perfect. in yourselves because our kind of mind that looks for detail, that spots things out of place, is eminently suitable for doing specifically contract law, for reviewing long documents. And it doesn't matter if you're dyslexic. I work with people, you know, who are dyslexic and they still can do it. My business partner, Shah, he is dyslexic. He even underwent brain surgery. He has just achieved his PhD. You can do it. Don't let anyone tell you that you can. I know a lot of dyslexics who have gone very far, despite people telling them you, you can't read well or you can't write well, whatever it is, they've gone very, very far on it and you're like good for you you know ignore those people yeah. um there's always a way i mean that's a good thing to learn in life there is always a way and if you can't see it ask because there will always be someone who will go oh, do you know what people tell you to do that but if you do this over here it's the same and you know they'll know people who didn't do the things they did or the hoops they jumped through and got the same distance and that's all don't, it is it's getting the same distance don't let your school or your university tell you that you're not entitled to disability something around dsa i think it is you are yep. fighting mm -hmm. and if they're, they're if they're you know telling you no just just contact me you know look me up cora burke the neurodistinguished lawyer or look for frascati associates which is my legal services branch neurorebellion i'll pop links in the description as well yeah. for that for you as well so people can you know, think that um we can help you is there anything um, that you, so I've been putting these out on LinkedIn as well, and I'm hoping, I've had a few messages saying employers and workplaces are, are uh, listening and involved, but uh, is there anything where you um, feel like you have advice for them that you want to say to, to employers that they should be doing? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid when someone asks you about A, um, the reasonable adjustments, really they don't have to cost much it's basic stuff there's also something called access to work access to work will work with you and with your employee to fund any changes and also realistically any reasonable adjustments you make you should actually apply across the board because any of those changes you make they will benefit any employees 
Um, and the way I look at um, making reasonable adjustments, realistically, it's a case of continuous improvement because if a significant proportion of the population says, hey, this is not working for us, then there's something not right in your processes. So think of it as continuous improvement. And all organizations should practice continuous improvement. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's actually a requirement, isn't it? By like ISO and all of these other regulatory bodies from a purely cynical, cold point of view, ignoring all the obvious benefits, all the love, all the the healthy benefits that come with it. It is, and you have to do it. (laughs) Think of it as continuous improvement. It will benefit not only your employees, it will benefit your bottom line, it will benefit your customers. Why wouldn't you do it? Don't be afraid of doing it. Don't think of the cost. Think of the profit. Think of the benefits for your whole organization. Just do it. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you. So yeah, I want to wrap up by just obviously saying thank you very much for your insights. You've been amazing. Um, it sounds like what you're doing is really powerful and important for autistic people and all people. Um, I feel like people should definitely check this out, check your your website out, your company out if they ever need any kind of support in employment and I'm guessing outside of employment as well, non uh, career based legal issues. If they have general mm-hmm. issues, they can advise, get advice. Um, is there anything beyond your legal work that you'd like to ask folks to check out is there any other projects you're working on that people should come and check you out on um yeah i would love them to check out um shine a light on the autistic mind event that's uh, from carol jean whittington i'm speaking uh on uh, friday but it's a whole sort of cycle of events throughout this month um i'll send you the link as well so you can look it up because it's just oh, okay, yeah. my mind and um, any of the events that Sha and I are doing on the, the Neurodivergent Business Consortium, I'd really like to talk about that, actually, because that's a, an effort where we are trying to get a consortium together so that we can offer training, uh, on-the-job training, workplaces, and eventually um incubators for people with neurodivergent traits so that they can start on themselves in business so it would be fantastic you know for people to sort of look into that investors are very welcome people who are looking for training um we're going to be doing uh, monthly events last friday of the month um in the future uh future 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 Enterprise Center. Oh, I always forget the name, but it's in Portsmouth, but it will mm-hmm. be online. So yeah, check us out. Neurodivergent Business Consortium. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. And uh, yeah, I hope people do. Um, I'll obviously have a look at the links. I'll put them in the description of the show. So yeah. if you're on any of the platforms, it'll just say on there the details you need to look at. Um, and also just if you need it, message me. I can get it off of the, the link. I'm at RB6K on Twitter. Um, do you want people to follow you anywhere on Twitter or on uh, LinkedIn or anything like that? Have you got any kind of links? Um, I'm mostly on LinkedIn um, and also my website. So that's uh, frascatiassociates.com, neurorebellion.com. And the Neurodivergent Business Consortium is ndconsortium.com. But I don't think the website is quite up yet. I'm not very active yet on Instagram, but it, it will come shortly. 
Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time and thank you listeners for your time as well for listening. Um, if you haven't checked out the other episodes, obviously please do. Um, this one's coming out Saturday. So the next episode will be out on Wednesday. Um, I hope you all have enjoyed what we've uh, what we've said today. If you have any questions, obviously, if you're on Spotify, you can ask questions directly from the app. If you uh, have any questions you want to send me on on social media, Twitter is best, RB6KSSA. Um, please leave a review on all of them. I think we're we're actually over the line now for the amount of episodes you need to have to be allowed to review on iTunes and Spotify. So please do. Um, and yeah, that is that is our lot. We're all done. Thank you very much for your time, Cora. I really appreciate it. All right, Brandon, you too. Have a great weekend. Bye.